for 150 days during 2020, the Cood Street podcast called up readers and book lovers from all over the world to ask them what they've been reading, what they'd recommend, and what they've been up to. With 2021 stretching out before us, we're looking at doing it again. New friends, new books, new recommendations. Today I'm joined by the Hugo Nebula Award-winning author of The Craft Sequence of Novels and Empress of Forever and co-author of This Is How You Lose the Time War, Max Gladstone. Hello, Max. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? Ah, well, uh, as well as any of us are here in the tail end of 2020, early 2021, uh, we're actually keeping it together pretty well. Uh, My wife and I and our kid are uh, reasonably safe, taken care of. Um, A lot of cooking is happening. A lot of childcare is happening. And we're going into Christmas right now. Couldn't ask for better, I think. I mean, well, given (laughs) externalities. (laughs) Well, yes, yes. Give them externalities, indeed. It, has it been a how how has twenty twenty been for you? Has it been a a productive <laughs> year or one that you've sort of staggered through in a kind of days like the rest of it? Uh, I, I appreciate your your foray into comedy there. Um, and no, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, by my own standards, it has not been a very productive year. I think a lot of people can say the same. Um, it's been a year of reallocating time to reflect my priorities. Um, So just a little bit about our family situation. My wife has a full-time office job, which she can do remotely, but is extremely full-time, a little closer to 80 hours a week uh, than, you know, the normal. Um, And I'm a full-time writer and we have a young child, two years old, a little under two years old. And he was just starting daycare and uh, everything and been doing that for a couple months. So we were both getting back up to usual productivity or some facsimile there of when the first lockdown hit. We're in the U.S. Uh, in, in May. Or, sorry, March. All time. Once together. Uh, so there was a lot of shuffling and moving around. We ended up having to uh, move to a new apartment, slightly larger apartment so that he could have his own bedroom because we were basically keeping him in the hall closet uh, when he was young enough to fit there. But then he could walk and move around and everything. Um, My wife is working from home, so we needed an office. And so we moved. I've been doing most of the nine to five childcare for our kid and uh, my wife's been sort of taking him in the early mornings and uh, later on at night so I can start cooking. And that's taken up a lot of time and energy. But I get up every morning around 6.30, get a couple of hours of writing in before um, I start childcare. And I've been in that way able to keep my foot in the water and keep projects moving forward. And then there's one day a week where Steph takes him and then I'm try to get a full week's worth of writing done in a single day and come out with exacerbated RSI and all that nonsense. So in that way, I've been able to keep pushing various balls forward. And it's been interesting in the sense that, I don't know, if you have a leisure time to work out, like a lot of leisure time to work out, then maybe you choose a series of workouts that you enjoy doing, but maybe aren't the most efficient. And then when you have a lot less time, you start asking yourself questions like, how much rest time do I really need between these exercises? Or what are some splits that I could get that would get me Mm -hmm. the the equivalent of 45 minutes of lifting in 20 minutes? And you find something that makes you uh, feel 
utterly exhausted and miserable when you're doing it, but actually <laughs> does give you the hit you need. And uh, it's been kind of like that. It's been, there's been a lot of uh, investment and loss. There's a Chinese, uh, there's a Tai Chi saying, I think this is Chen Manching quoting one of his Tai Chi teachers that uh, you can measure your progress every day by the thickness of a sheet of paper. And I've always felt that to be true about writing in general. And it's been very literally true. Some days I'll walk in in the morning, sit down um, and write one page and that's it. And it is after being full time at this for years, it's extremely difficult. It feels like you're moving in a much more high resistance environment or in like a hyperbaric gravity chamber or something like you're training on Dragon Ball Z. But on the flip side, it means you have that whole day to get ready to write that one page. And sometimes you can't even finish the page. So that's, and but it, it means that so much more goes in to each little piece of that. And you do see that stuff gets done every once yeah. in a while. I'll lose faith that there is a V ends <laughs> at the end of the tunnel, but there really is even for huge projects, even for complicated things that it doesn't feel like it's possible to do under these circumstances. Um, and so, you know, so I've had to retool a lot. I've been handwriting much more than I've been typing because that keeps me off of email and Twitter and the internet and news and the, the universe. It really lets me focus on what's right in front of me, yeah. right under my pen. Um, and I, in that way, I've been making slow progress, you know, not going to claim that it's a uh, it's been a manic sprint through wildflowers or anything, but uh, some stuff has gotten done. And at, back yeah. in the beginning, I was worried that nothing would get done. So, <laughs> well, actually, you, know, you talk about sort of you know, the, the, you know, the, the speed of it all, and some of it's the change in the world at large, but surely some of it is that you ne- you know so much more about what you're doing than you did a decade ago. You know, you've got seven novels finished, a lot of other work done, and now when you sit down, there's a whole lot, I would assume, an enormous amount of processing going on. You're not even necessarily consciously, though, some of what you would be doing to get that work done because you're not producing anything like what you did 10 or 12 years ago. You're producing something at a whole other level. That's the hope, certainly. I mean, you're trying to continue moving forward every day with every um, with every new project, with every new idea. Um, Elizabeth Baer remarks sometimes that her difficulty is is she comes back to a new book as I've you know already written spaceships blowing up 80 times. So how do I write this spaceship blowing up in a way that feels fresh, new, interesting? Like how, how do you write she gets on a horse um, in a way that feels awesome and cool and excites you as much as it did when you were just starting out? Now, I think it is possible to to overthink those sorts of things, but there's always this drive to find a new angle or to go, maybe even to go a little bit deeper. Um, so, so that's totally true. I've slowed down a great deal in my writing. Um, even it was partially, I think, time war that did it. Working with Amal, um, mm-hmm. I started paying a lot more attention to the work on a line by line level. And then after Casey was born, it started handwriting a lot more. And all of that's gotten me deeper into sentence structure deeper into the um, the slow progress through the work, which is, I think, all to the good. It gives yeah. sentences even time to unfurl and revise themselves while I'm working. I notice now when I try to do things um, typed 
as a first draft, there's this sort of staccato rush through a sentence and then you delete half the sentence and you go back and you recompose it, not even worrying over it. Just you get your idea out and then you go back yeah. and go over, and over it again. And you can do a lot that way, but there's a depth of thought that I found sometimes absent or the, you know, I think, I think there's something uh, a little more like the work of a chisel in yeah. handwriting. So anyway, yeah, you're finding always finding new tools and also finding new limits. You try to go down the the brain, the the sort of creative process is like this giant city and it is always changing. It's sort of folding into itself or unfolding. And you maybe, you know, every day that you get your, your uh, chocolate croissant and your cup of coffee and you walk across this plaza past the church and then up there, is your room where you work. And then one day you go and you get your chocolate croissant and your cup of coffee and the plaza is a giant pit and there's fire down there. And the room has been wiped out and the church, you can see the steeple way, way over there over the uh, rooftops. And the question now is (laughs) how do you navigate? Things can change and develop under your life changes and develops under you. And all of a sudden things that felt more sure, uh, no longer feel sure. All of a sudden you have to figure out how to navigate. I think that's the joy of this process though. You're always navigating. I don't know. That's maybe tangled and weird, but that's how I'm feeling about it right now. Over, actually, you've touched on something that I might have touched on later, but um, over the last five years, you've spent a fair reasonably fair amount of time collaborating with people. You did it through the Book Burners projects and The Witcher Came In From The Cold, through Wildcards, and most famously with with Amal El-Motar on This Is How You Lose The Time War. Have you found it's really changed? I mean, it sounds like with working with Amal, at least, it's really changed how you approach writing and, 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 and telling stories. Oh, absolutely. I mean, each one of those collaborations has given me an opportunity to learn or to steal like a bandit from other amazing writers. I I think I love play. I love play in writing. Uh, One of the things that I love most about genre fiction, about fantasy and science fiction specifically, is the degree to which everyone is kind of borrowing one another's licks or stealing things that they love from great classics and putting new spins on them, that there's a comfort in engagement and call and response with the text. And collaboration, you get to do that in real time, not just bouncing off of an author who inspired you when you were a child or somebody whose book you read recently that you really, oh God, how do I do that? Uh, You're getting to work with someone and see, oh man, This is the kind of decision they make in real time. That's fantastic. Sometimes it's as basic as uh, note card outlining, which is a technique I learned from Margaret Dunlop and have deployed on a number of different projects. Sometimes it's uh, just watching how carefully Amal writes a scene, like literally how... uh, how little key clacking there is per unit time when she's working on something. It's just the depth uh, and the consideration, like watching somebody try to figure out how to play chess when I'm often tempted to just hammer forward freight train style through a draft, (laughs) Uh, which sometimes is the right way to go. uh, But you learn something from everyone. And I I think collaboration is fantastic in that way. I've taken so much from it. Well, let me ask you then, the, the, one of the things that we, we did whenever it was locked in uh, everywhere, uh, and obviously a lot of people still are because of COVID. Well, we are in Massachusetts right now, certainly. Re-locked um, in, I guess. 
we're going around asking what people have been reading. So have you been able to read? What have you been reading? And more importantly, is it any good? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the key question. I have been reading. I've been reading a ton. Um, Part of that is it's the it's such an easy way to unwind and completely involve myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've found in the last nine-ish months of substantial uh, political, social, uh, personal upheaval <coughs> in this corner of these United States uh, <laughs> that I really need something to do with my mind, something that's deeply engrossing. So I've I ended up going deep on... Um, what I would usually think of as pretty serious reads. Like I started working on Proust and I'm still chewing through it, Uh, you know, not all in a row, but, you know, uh, a book and then a few other books uh, that are maybe a little bit like lighter reading and then something else. Um, You know, I've been reading history. I've been reading in in the last couple of months, I've been reading a ton of uh, genre and uh, I've been listening to audio books. It's just such a great way to bring your whole self to the page one page at a time um yeah. as opposed to i don't know uh, the computer um, there's always another tab to open there's always another link to click on uh, it's sort of like trying to get relaxation by wandering onto the slot machine floor of a casino um, <laughs> television i often bounce off of uh, i feel kind of antsy um, the pacing is just maybe not enough. With with books, you can get some real electric joy out of any yeah. paragraph. But th- that's just the way that I'm wired. Um, and yeah, um, so uh, so the what? Um, a lot of it's been I've revisited a lot of favorite books over this yeah. time. You know, I did my annual Night in the Lonesome October reread through October. Um, I read Haunting of Hill House for the first time, which is I think something that uh, the horror community is legally allowed to stone me for saying now but it's true it's true i just missed that one but um but amazing kind of overwhelmed october was a horror month for me um let's see recently right now i'm listening to dora goss's second athena club book which is wonderful it's extremely long it's like listening to a whole television series uh, or a season of a television show, maybe it's amazingly well well um, read, well narrated. Not just obviously, Goss's voice is great, and she has this wonderful way of rendering her characters kind of repartee yeah. with one another interstitially between chapters or in, inside chapters. Even uh, it's it's like a really fun um, sense that you're dealing with a cast almost as much as a, a, a bunch of characters who are stuck in a dramatic situation with one another. Uh, I'm sorry, my, my screen just seems to have locked itself. So you're going to hear some key chatter here as That's I open okay. it up again. Um, or or not. <laughs> uh, we've been hacked. Um, okay, sorry. Too, too soon. Um, yeah, so, uh, so, so that one's extremely fun right now. I'm reading uh, Lindsay Ellis's Axiom's End, which... I'm really looking forward to seeing where that goes. I'm about halfway through and it's been like six different books so far. Um, mm-hmm. She's got a great narrative voice. And I, it's it's been a long time since I read a sort of first contacty creature book where the creatures felt this realized. The uh, the sort of aliens who show up in the book, the, the amygdalines, I, I think I'm, they're called that. Um, 
are you can really I really have a vivid sense of how they move exactly how their anatomy fits together without mm-hmm. her ever having over described, which to me is a magical thing. I, I'm so used to that being the trade off. I either know exactly how something looks or it's at all fun to read. And yeah. this balance where I can really get a sense of precise alien movements and choreography through space is, is, is really wild and a lot of fun. Um, uh, I finished 10,000 Doors, Doors of January earlier. I'm tearing through the Murderbot novellas, which just continue to get better. Um, let's see. What else, what else, is, what else is good? Um, just recently finished Jill Lepore's These Truths, which is a big one-volume American history. If you're looking for big doorstopper American histories, which I was at the time, uh, read uh, a, a small translated collection of Azumi Kyoka's Japanese Gothic Tales back in October, which uh, I'll be thinking about for a very long while, um, continuing to kind of turn that over in my head. Uh, oh, the big thing. I'm sorry. I'm just chattering titles at you. The big thing, and this is not new and it's not genre, but my God, I don't think I've laughed this hard in years. There's, are, um, have you ever read uh, Sarah Codwell's mystery novels? No, starting I have not. Uh, starting with Thus Was Adonis Murdered. Okay. They're phenomenal. I am worried that I am not up to the task of describing just how <laughs> great these books are. Um, they are... Oh, I, I don't know if they would be quite as funny to somebody who didn't know so many lawyers, but but <laughs> they're just so good, so good. So the, the the conceit, these are novels that are narrated by a extremely stuffy Oxford Don who is uh, who, who comes down, who regularly shirks their responsibilities in Oxford and comes down to London to hang out with a bunch of barristers at uh, 62 New Square, sort of a, a, little, a little club of barristers who are all basically work with the same clerk, except for one of them who's a, who's a tax barrister. Anyway, and they get involved in mysteries and in, in sort of murder mysteries. The first one starts when one of the characters is accused of murder um, while she's on holiday in Italy, running away from, ironically enough, the internal the Britain's Internal Revenue Service. She's a tax attorney. She the book says something like she'd always regarded uh, the what she did as a tax barrister as you know, of course, a subject of books and exams. Therefore, having nothing whatsoever to do with real life. Um, and <laughs> it's the the situations. I mean, the situations are absurd and funny and hilarious. The characters are wonderful. It's got this consistent, acerbic, very witty voice. And yet, at least for me as a as an American reader, I never get the sense that the characters involved are being don't like each other, no matter how vicious they're being or how, how cutting or sort of uh, like slightly stabby they are being towards one another. There's such obvious affection between all of them. Um, and they're so well drawn. There's a, one of the barristers is introduced in the first book as, uh, as imagine a cat who has just completed a successful cross-examination and you'll rather get the idea. <laughs> A Persian cat. There we go. A Persian cat that has just completed a rather successful cross-examination. They're they're amazing. And I do not know how I went this long without becoming aware of them. 
it's really my own fault. Alan Kushner gave me a copy of the first book and said, read this, you'll love it like five or six years ago. And I just picked it up off the shelf um, back in October. And I could not stop laughing and reading parts aloud to, to my wife. It's they're amazing. They're still borderline in print. There are four of them. Caldwell unfortunately passed away in the late nineties or possibly early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish there were 90. I would read these until doomsday and back. Uh, they're, they're great. Yeah. Track them down. I shall do so. Well, let me ask you. That's what you've been reading, what you'd recommend. And we talked about how life has been, but just quickly, I know that obviously Time War has been out in the world for a while, as has Empress of Forever. And with, frankly, Time War being somewhat something of a phenomenon, what comes next for Max Gladstone? Is it all toddler care or is there stuff coming out <laughs> in 2021? Uh, 21 21- there may or may not be things coming out that kind of depends on um, publishing schedules mm-hmm. over which I don't have a great deal of control. In 2022, excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> Let me grab a glass of just a drink of water here. All right. So in 2022, I'll have a book coming out, which is currently tentatively titled Last Exit. And we'll see if we can come up with something better than that. And that is a... Amber Chronicles meets it road trip through alternate reality with a bunch of uh, kids who met in college and discovered that they could basically use math to travel to other versions of the United States um, and that they were all awful and they tried to figure out some way to fix that and that went horribly and now it's 10 years later and they have to get back together to give it one more go and I don't know try to save the country slash possibly the world and it's a big big book. And I'm revising that right now. And uh, it's a concept that I've visited again and again for the last five, six years in, in different iterations, but I'm really excited for this one. And so that's that's the big uh, next project that's coming up. And after that, I'm working on, I think I can say this, I'm working on a, a trilogy that's going to sort of capstone the craft sequence, um, which will oh, hopefully excellent. be out in 23. The first book is written already. I'm working on the second, though that's um, that's uh, had to work around revisions and pandemics and, and things like that. Um, and then Amal and I are continuing to be involved in the, the uh, attempts to produce a Time War TV series, which would be amazing. And are conspiring, I think is probably the right word for this stage on, on our next project. And that's most of what's going on with me. And then, I don't know, on, on the horizon, maybe ancestral voices prophesying war. <laughs> well, we shall look forward to to that, to Last Exit, which sounds phenomenal. And thank you. But for the moment, thank you so much for making time to talk to me today, Max. It's been a joy. Oh, it's been a joy as well. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for this project.